Hey, podcast listeners. Before we begin, we wanted to say a huge thank you. Thank you for supporting the Living Centered Podcast. It has been our joy to journey alongside you through the topics and conversations that affect us all. We can't thank you enough for listening in over the last few months. Today, it's time for us to listen to you. We're always looking for ways to serve you better. So we put together a brief podcast survey that will help us know where you are on your emotional wellness journey, friends you might want to learn from, and topics that you care about. We would love it if you would take a few minutes to share your thoughts. And as a thank you for your time, you'll be entered for a chance to win a $200 gift card to the Onsite Mercantile, Onsite's store of curated emotional wellness resources. Head on over to onsiteworkshops.com slash LCP survey to share your thoughts. Thanks so much in advance. We are so grateful for all of you. I think I would ask people, would you be willing for one minute to share the most painful event in your life? Mm. For just one minute, if you could open your heart and share what happened to you that was so painful when you felt so alone or abandoned or inadequate, if they had the ability to do that, I believe that our world would be healed Mm -hmm. because we're going to hear the same stories over and over, just different players, different times, different venues, but the same hurts. And I really believe that all of the external actions that we're seeing in our world today is there's um it's just a knot of anger in people that they're angry at what happened to them and they're taking it out on the world welcome to the living centered podcast where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life rediscovering reclaiming and rooting in to who we truly are I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. Hope can be hard to come by. Today's interview is incredibly special, as Miles and Lindsay welcome world-renowned therapist and on-site guide, Mary Bellafato. With over 40 years of experience, Mary is not only a well-respected and beloved part of on-site, but she is a sought-after expert in many mental health circles. We were so honored to have Mary on the podcast to ask her to speak to us all in this time of confusion, loss, and unrest from her place as an agent of hope and healing for so many. We believe that Mary is uniquely positioned to speak into the resiliency and hope of the human spirit. We hope this episode leaves you encouraged, helps you feel seen, and invites you to extend understanding, empathy, and a little love to yourself and the people around you. Welcome our friend, Mary Bellafato. You know, when we decided to launch a podcast out of OnSite, I knew we'd get to have some sacred conversations with people who I really revere in who they are and how they show up. But you're, you're really one of them. You are one of the staples that has had your hand guiding um, people like Lindsay and I and others as we've tried to lead on site over the years. And you have believed in us from the minute you stepped on the property. And 
I'd go back further than that because I think you and I met years ago, uh, pre our merger and working with OnSite, back when you and I were working the eating disorder field. I think at a conference in Florida. I'm not. Yeah. I don't know if that's the first time we met, but I remember it's the first time we had a really good, rich conversation. But you've believed in me, I would say, since since day one, and that's what you do as good as anybody I've ever seen in my life. You just speak truth into people. You get behind them. You, know, you put your incompetence and encouragement into them, and then you use your skill set to set them free. So I'm hoping for our guests, many of which who will know you, uh, I think that they've done training with us at OnSite or come to programs at OnSite or maybe heard you speak somewhere else. But I'm really excited for everybody else to get a small piece of what I'm describing has been my experience in being your friend. Thank you, Miles. I um, shared this not too long ago, and, and you might be surprised about this, but I was talking about how important mentors are in our lives. I'm 76 and I still have mentors. And um, I think you know this, but you're one of them. Mm. Uh, I've always had mentors older than me, but you're the first mentor I've ever had that's so young. <laughs> and uh, what you bring to me is, is incredible. And uh, I was just telling a group of this about this recently and saying, don't go through life without mentors and people who know you and support you because they can call you on stuff and save you years of heartache. But the, the mentoring that I receive from you is um, how do I leave a legacy? Mm -hmm. Because you are so good at living your life and also looking at, future that you've guided me in, um, in making decisions about my legacy and um, what I want to leave on this earth. So the first thing I want to leave is I'm not, I'm not retiring as long as I'm able because uh, my heart is still in the game and uh, I love the race. I get up every day, let me in the race. I still have some energy to run and I love watching the people running the race beside us. And uh, that changes from day to day. And that's the uniqueness of what we do. We get to touch lives and uh, make a difference. And they touch our lives and make a difference. It doesn't go one way. It's always a, a duality. And I love that. So thank you, Miles. Wow. Thank you. Receive. That was humbling to hear, but I'm also grateful. And I love... Um, there's not many relationships that I have like that that just have that such a prevalent dual benefit. I love the idea of mentors. I think a lot of people get like hung up by the idea that that needs to be some like sort of formal arrangement. And how do I like find a mentor? And then should I ask them to be my mentor? And what does that relationship need to look like? But I love the idea that you know, I don't know that you've even told Miles that he's a mentor and it almost is, seems like just like a curiosity and a position of learning that you're in with other people. Would you talk more about sort of what mentoring looks like in your mind? Well, I, I always listen to what people have to say. And if I like it, I want more of that. I mean, when I hear truth, and I love this quote, truth will set us free, but at first it will make us miserable. <laughs> so. When I hear truth, and I want more of that, and I wonder, how did Miles learn that so young? Yeah. How did he come to this? And I recognize that we all have different gifts, but I've always looked to people because 
people are gracious and they want to share their gifts. And mentoring to me is just a gift that you give someone else. So I am always honored at on-site when all the young therapists that are coming in, I just take them under my wings and say, let me teach you everything I know. And um, it's not going to make me less. It's going to broaden my love base. And that, to me, uh, just watching people reach their level of excellence and surpass anything that I've ever done, it's not about me. It's about them. And it's about helping people be the best they can be. And that is a mentor. And, And many of the mentors I've actually asked over the years, and I've had about six mentors in my entire life, And it's just been a profound experience to me. They've helped me in my business. They've helped me emotionally. They've helped me spiritually. They've spoken into my life. They've told me at times when I'm off base and a little crazy. Or they've told me, you really need to slow down. You need to think about this. And um, when you hear wisdom and you can listen to it, it it saves so much heartache. And that's what I've learned. When did you know that you wanted to be uh, in a profession or just spend your life? Because you, the one of my favorite things about you is it's not just what you do, it's how you live. So you give as much back through your, and I know we'll get there talking about some of your philanthropic efforts and amazing stuff that you've done over the years overseas. But, you know, when did you know at what age, you know, you've, you've got a 40 plus year career as a mental health professional, which is just unreal. But uh, when did you know you wanted to be live the way you're living or do what you do? Take us back a little bit. Well, it, it would uh, I'd have to go back to when I was eight years old. And um, my sister, who's now deceased, uh, she and I had a conversation about this before she died she said, do you remember the summer we were standing under that we lived on a 150 acre farm in Arkansas and we had this big winding road with big oak trees and we were standing under an oak tree and I watched a plane leaving a jet stream in the air and I turned to my sister and I said, when I grow up, I'm going to travel all over the world on, on one of those and I'm going to speak to people. And she looked at me like I had horns and she <laughs> said, yeah. You've not even been in one of those airplanes. And I said, I know, but I'm going to. And she remembered that conversation. And when she recalled it, it it was clear as mud to me. I remember thinking, wow, I can't believe that I had that sense that I had to get out of Arkansas. I wanted to go see the world. I wanted to get out of that bubble that I grew up in. And um, I remember when I left, I'm thinking, wow. I didn't know this big world existed out here. And I've had two careers. I had pre-med as my first career, but I always wanted to be a therapist. And in my job and working in the medical field for about um, 13 years, everybody would come up to me in, in the role that I was in and just pour out their life. It's like they would, I'm thinking, do I have a sign on my back? Why do people tell me all this stuff? And that longing to go back to school and become a therapist. I thought, you know what? I love this job, but that's my calling. That's where my gifting is. So I went back to school. And from the day I started school, I knew that this was what I was destined to do. And when I became a psychodramatist, 
I think the the um, techniques of psychodrama, the experientiality of psychodrama, met my personality, and I just felt like it doesn't get any better than this. And I felt that way since I've become a therapist. I've never gotten tired of the field. I get tired of the craziness in the field sometimes, but I don't. I don't get tired of doing the work. So. I had an inkling at eight, and um, it took me a number of years. So I actually uh, started working as a therapist in the uh, late 70s. Hmm. I feel like you seem always so hopeful and so uh, passionate about the work without feeling burdened by it. How have you managed to sort of always stay in that posture of sort of hope and healing and instead of letting it wear you down? Because it does wear a lot of people down, holding space for so many people. I believe that I can hold space and be present without letting it overwhelm and enter my heart. The other thing is I'm not the solution. And I know that. I do not have to fix anything because I can't. An individual thinks a thousand, roughly two to three thousand words a minute internally in their own brain. And I can speak a hundred. <laughs> Physiologically, it's impossible to change a brain. But all I can do is um, hold space and let a person find themselves and reflect back, be the mirror that says, You are worth finding yourself, you have value. And it's time to find the new space for your life and to move on beyond the past, the pain, the trauma. And I believe, I have hope, um, I never give up on anyone. I believe anyone can change. It doesn't matter how far down the road. And I think if we can't hold hope, because some of our clients don't have the ability to hold it, Mm -hmm. they're so depressed or they're anxious or especially now, people are just frightened. They're so fearful of life that um, when they even come into my sessions or my intensive, sometimes I will ask them, what do you need from me to help you feel safe so you can do the work? And sometimes they say, I just need you to talk or I need you not to judge me as I share my story. And I said, you got that. You got that. So I think people know what they need, and I believe that if I don't make it up and I listen to them, then I'm, I can't go wrong. But sometimes we therapists have our own agenda and think we know best. We don't live inside that person. I tell them, you are the expert. You are the specialist in you. You know everything you need to know. You already know it. Mm. So I just let people know what they need to know and eventually they can accept it hey everyone Mackenzie here i really hope you're enjoying this conversation with mary miles and Lindsay. i did want to hop in really quickly just to remind you about our newest emotional wellness masterclass, unlearning shame this class provides helpful steps to stop shame in its tracks and keep it from running the show in our lives i love it because it's super practical and accessible And after going through it, I feel like it's serving me now and going to keep serving me again and again and again in the future. So now, until the end of the month, we're giving you half off of this $69 class. 
and I want to make sure that you get it at its lowest price. So use the code PODCAST, and that'll make it just $35. Head on over to onsiteworkshops.com slash shame to sign up. Now, back to the interview. You mentioned uh, psychodrama as, as a field of study, and you are a, a TEP, which for people who don't know that are listening, it's a teacher, educator, and practitioner. It's the top of the food chain. It's as high as you can get in the psychodrama world. And what that equates to is a mountain of hours and years of uh, training and experiencing so and and now you're our you've been our trainer at onsite for years and in more ways than one you don't just teach the skill set but you lean into a lot of different areas but for people that are listening that might not know tell just tell us quickly what psychodrama is and why you feel it's so impactful psychodrama means the psychic of the soul hmm. and what it helps you do is make the implicit explicit it brings what is inside out so you can view it so you can see it and when we see externally we can look at it and say ah so it makes the covert overt and that's where a person is involved they don't tell the story but they show us the story they are involved in it they are part of it So it's moving beyond the left brain and it's hitting the right brain, the emotional centers, which is where trauma is resolved and released. So it's so important for people. um, Many times I've had therapy uh, clients in my office that have been in therapy for years. And in one session, I can have them do role reverse with their parents and resolve issues that they have carried for years in one session because all of a sudden they got it. They saw it, they felt it, they released it, and they moved on. So I've got about 14 years of training in psychodrama, and I know that it changed my life. And I believe that therapists need to do their own work to make sure that they have healed their emotional pain so it doesn't get blended and blurred into what our clients are going through. And this is an, an issue that I see across our country as I do trainings is so many therapists are still trying to dictate outcomes, dictate what happens in the session. And because of their fear of, of going sideways and touching their own emotional issues that they haven't dealt with, that the boundaries get blurred and um, the outcomes are not healthy. So I encourage people, do your work. Uh, find a good group to get in because I think group is the most healing method to do our experiential work because we see we're not alone. Uh, we're mirrored by others. We're supported by others and relationships we are wounded in relationship, but we are healed in relationships. And that's what I love about what we do at Onsite. Mm. People have been so wounded sometimes by men in their life, and they come in a group as women, and they have several men in the group, and they find, wow, you have some of the same traumas, the same deep wounds that I have. And it's not about men and women. It's about people. 
So they're able to be healed even as they watch and hear someone else's story being revealed and seeing that it's not about gender. It's about human beings. Hmm. Well said. And I like that you moved it a little bit into that it, it is one of the more effective ways to reconcile parts of your own story, undeniably, yeah. uh, particularly if you are a therapist by trade. I think it's a good parallel, not just for those of us in the change space, but also for the world right now, that if we want to be better leaders, better teachers, better parents, better friends, better citizens, however you want to show up in the world, it's it's not necessarily more information about the tactics of doing those things that will help us get there. It's putting the microscope down, picking up the mirror and say, what about me? Now, how can I heal yeah. my own heart? What could I do to reconcile my own story? And boy, I could tell you from my experience, the more I did my own work, the less I felt I had to know. I just had to be. Right. And the more right. I be, the better I became. So I just, I think it's such a good little snapshot for the world. We're in an interesting time right now. And I think overall, more of us are feeling uh, collectively as humanity disconnected, in, you know, in fear, probably challenged with feeling a little hopeless in some areas of our lives, fragmented, on and on and on. If you saw humanity as a group where you were the guide that could walk up and say, um, I want to take a step back and invite you to what? What might you do if you were to give the world some Mary B wisdom right now? It could be an experiential exercise. It could just be some words of wisdom. What do you think? I think I would ask people, would you be willing for one minute to share uh, the most painful event in your life? For just one minute, if you could open your heart and share what happened to you that was so painful when you felt so alone or abandoned or inadequate, if they had the ability to do that, I believe that our world would be healed because we're going to hear the same stories over and over, just different players, different times, different venues, but the same hurts. Somebody did not love me the way I needed to be loved at that time. Somebody was not there for me. And um, I have become angry at myself or I've become angry at the world. And I really believe that all of the external actions that we're seeing in our world today is there's um, it's just a knot of anger in people that they're angry at what happened to them. And they're taking it out on the world. And uh, all that does is push people away and make them more abandoned. So if people could just share and be heard and people just listen. But if you look at the people that are so angry, the one thing they don't want to do is listen. It's like if I listen, I, I don't want you to change my mind. So I think if people could just be heard because... All the angry people in my world that I've ever encountered, I've said to them, tell me more 
about what that means. And I'll give you an example. I remember a young girl, a bulimic that I was working with, and she had just been so resistant to telling her story. And she got up out of group and ran into the bathroom. She said, I'm going to be sick. And I said, today, you're not going to vomit alone. And I went in the bathroom with her and I held her head. And she got finished vomiting. I said to her, if that vomit could speak, what would it say? She made the most profound statement. She said, I am tired of representing your anger toward your dad who abused you. That was the day that we had a turnaround. And I said, you know what, I honor. That's the only way you know right now how to deal with it. But I'm going to teach you other ways to be angry. That's not going to torment and tear your body and destroy you. And that was the day that she trusted me. No judgment, just holding her head. So I think a lot of people have lots of stuff in their guts that they push down with drugs, they push down with alcohol, they push down with technology, sex, gambling, you name it, work, busyness, or isolation. I think isolation has become the big one. And they feel like if I can just stay far enough away from people, I'll be okay. I can, I can hold it in. And I think it's time for people to say, I need to get out of my gut, what I have pushed down so long, that is so scary for me. And I understand why, because it often happened when they were children and they didn't, they didn't have any skills to deal with it. So even as adults, they're still using the techniques that they learned as children. And I tell them, you know what? I commend you for that because you're still alive and that's what's important. Now we can change it. You don't have to keep doing this. So I know that's pretty graphic, but that story has never left me the impact of being able to hold and identify and helping a client identify what the uh, dysfunctional behavior is really helping them to do. It's helping her to stay alive. For those people that are listening to you and hearing this and realizing that they don't want to keep stuffing it down, what's like the one thing they can do today? to start living different? Reach out to one friend. They've got to have somebody they trust. And just um, maybe ask that friend, will you go for a walk with me? And I tell people just walking is bilateral stimulation. It will help reduce anxiety and it will help reduce trauma. Miles, I don't know if you remember this, but when we did the program for active shooters, the one young woman I think she was about 16 that had survived over in um, West Palm, uh, active shooter. She'd seen her friend killed and she was hiding under a desk. But when she got home that day and she was just, she didn't know what to do. So her and her mom started walking and she would talk to her mom. They'd walk for an hour every day. And she would just pour out all of her feelings, her emotions, her mom, just listen, let her talk. She was the only one in that group that was not diagnosed with PTSD because she had been doing 
really the bilateral stimulation, which helps, it's part of uh, EMDR and also brain spotting that helps reduce trauma. So being with someone and just, if she doesn't want to talk or they don't want to talk, just be with someone. Listen to music, get out of the house, go do something good for someone else. Just get their mind off of themselves for just a little while. Because we know that when we have benevolence to others, it, it changes us. So that would be where I'd have people start and call a therapist. If they haven't gotten into therapy, find a good therapist to just support them through this hard space. Really helpful. There was a lot in there. I liked what you said. You know, I was taking a few notes as I'm at least a part of every day is thinking about not just what's in front of me, but uh, how do I use what's in front of me to help make the world a little better? I just, I can't help but always think about that. And it, it you know, your, your prescription uh, for us, I was thinking about the implications of sitting on our wounds or our pain. And it really is, in fact, probably the first step to dehumanizing ourselves and therefore mm-hmm. other people. And if our big challenge right now, and it's not right now, it's been that way for a long time, is the divide between us and them. Dehumanizing is depriving. That's at its very nature. It's depriving of positive human qualities and not sharing our wounds, our pain, our stress, and our struggle is a, is a deprivation on ourselves. And I think it makes us less humane to ourselves, which energetically makes us less humane to other people. And the idea of doing what Mary is encouraging here, which is don't compare or think you don't have permission to share wounds because you may have had a, a, a fortunate upbringing or attach. Uh, uh, you may have had a good fortune by comparison. Nobody escapes adversity. Nobody. We all experience it, either in the home, outside of the home, somewhere along the way. It's by design. It's part of the unique quality of being human. But for whatever reason, we have we've gotten the recipe off kilter in we just share the parts we believe will have us accepted by the greater good, by the greater human. And we, we need to reverse engineer that. So that we can share all of us, because when we do, we start to close the divide between us and them. Because I've always, ever since I got mental, the very f- first thing I experienced when I did my own work early in my own process of trying to find myself and reconcile some things was, I was, I was blown away when that aha moment came, and I thought, I thought I was just broken, and that I was a mess, and. This is not just for me. This is for everybody. And why doesn't the rest of the world have this opportunity, this psychological safety for people to speak truth into them and for them to have permission to be themselves? And I believe that's the paradigm shift, which is the ultimate opportunity to come out of this season better than maybe we came into it. And I'd love to hear you comment on some of that, Mary. I know I kind of got up on a soapbox, but you just encouraged me because I was trying to decode what you were saying. And I was thinking, man, that is spot on. But such a simple way to say it, you know, you've seen a lot of pain in your years. I also know that you've seen a lot of hope, often hope in hopeless or pain in some of the more dire painful circumstances on the planet, like some of the work you've done in Rwanda back when they were going through that horrific time in their history. 
backing it all the way into what you're seeing in people's homes here. And yet you have this, what Lindsay shared earlier, this optimistic, hopeful disposition about the person in front of you always. And I would imagine that ripples out to the collective. So share some of that with us and the people who are listening. Well, I believe that life is um, 20% about what happens to us and 80% about how we respond to it. And when I first started working in Africa in 1998 was my first trip there to work with um, the survivors from the uh, horrible genocide. The question they kept asking, because it was the Christian nation, it was two tribes killing each other, said, where was God in all of this? And um, I had no answer. You know, you feel like people are wanting answers. And um, I remember uh, interviewing the Ministry of Justice in Rwanda, who had survived it. And um, I said to him, how do you describe, how do you explain this to people? He said, Mary, uh, you can't explain evil. And um, he said, what happened here was was beyond understanding. And there are things in people's lives that we can't understand. People are wanting the why. Why, why, why? And in my own life, what has brought me such hope is giving up my why. Because when my sister died very early of a misdiagnosis, and man, I was angry for so many years, and I wanted to know why. God really spoke to my heart through my own brain, and he said, you need to give up why. Because all why ever did for me was to make me just ruminate on more stories and bringing up the pain and getting angrier and getting bitter and uh, isolating. And God says, if you'll give me the why, I'm going to give you every other question. And that's the 80% there that you can deal with. What are you going to do about it, Mary? Uh, When are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? Who can help you? And where are you going to do it? And, I tell people I'm so busy answering all those questions that when I release the why, that's where my peace comes from. And I believe that sometimes people hold on to that why and that anger and trying to justify when if they can just let go because we don't know why. We can come up with our own theories But there are many questions that we can't answer in life. But if we can look at all the questions that we have access to, and I believe getting into a therapeutic process and finding out where is your spiritual strength? How can you rely on that? Who is involved in that for you? Uh, What is blocking that for you? And as I began to um, work with the people in Africa, and I went and studied and found out where God said he was. (laughs) He says he goes before us. He's with us. He lives inside of us. He gives his angels charge over us. He um, is our rear guard. And he said, goodness and mercy follow you. So 
I feel like I've been given a gift to work with people. And when I go to Africa, they love the psychodrama, the experiential methods, and they get it. They really see it. And I've seen remarkable healings with uh, human trafficking, with the uh, child soldiers in Uganda, with Sudanese refugees that uh, on-site was a part of that, that we took over uh, five therapists and just incredible healing because we bring hope, because people heard the message, we're here, you're not alone. And that alone is healing. Just somebody sometimes sitting in the hole with us, sitting in that deep well that feels like it, it has no bottom and you can't get out. Just having people say, I'm here and uh, I'm not going anywhere. And that there is a greater good that's working in all of this. That's where I take my hope from. And that's the well from which I drink and continue to drink. And I keep saying, let me be the best me I can be today. Let me influence my world today. If it's giving a compliment to the cashier in the grocery store or giving encouragement. And I found sometimes just touching people on their shoulders and saying, um, I got you. I understand. Mm. There is a meaning that goes far beyond words. When a human spirit touches another human spirit, and you know in that moment you are truly, truly seen, there's nothing that can take the place of that. I see you. Mm. I got you. You um, maybe were my group leader when I did Living Centered Program. And as I've sat here and listened to you talk for the last hour, I feel like I've been like relearning all the lessons of kind of going back to like moments and things that you unlocked for me. And I'm so grateful that you've shared your wisdom with our listeners and they get to learn from you and experience your wisdom because you have such a gift of holding up that mirror to all of us and making us feel safe and feel seen and learn to trust ourselves. So I'm so grateful. Thank you, Lindsay. Mary, for our listeners, what is something practical that you do day in and day out to sort of stay grounded and centered? I get up in the morning. I make myself a wonderful cup of coffee. And when I sit on the couch to read the paper, Rocco, my little uh, Havani Shih Tzu, comes and jumps in my lap. And he lays his little head down, and I can feel his heart beating on my legs. There is something so centered about right at that moment, that's the most important thing I can do. I love that. And as Lindsay said, Mary, I'll just echo too. I appreciate your encouragement. I appreciate your time. You know, we're going to be talking to a lot of different people with experience around change technologies and tools. And one of my favorite things is you train therapists from all over the world. You know, every tool in the bag. And you could probably give us a 10-point presentation on all the tools, why they work. But you always put the heart first. You always say, yeah, all that's important. But if you don't show up with who you are then everybody in front of you is going to miss becoming who they can become. And that's what you did again today. And that's what I was hoping for. I just, we just need a good dose of Mary B wisdom and heart. <laughs> and so uh, thank you for um, being a part of this conversation. Thank you for being a part of our 
lives. And I'm speaking on behalf of all the people I know that you've touched to help live a more centered life uh, just by being you. So thank you, Mary. Thank you. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.